This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Dr. Don on Careers on Sirius XM 132. This is Dr. Don Graham. And before we dive into the show today, I just want to let you know that the entire team here at Sirius XM 132 shares your concerns about the current health crisis. And here in Philadelphia, like in many areas, we're sheltering in place to help slow the spread of COVID-19. But during this time, we're continuing to work remotely to bring you the best career tips and advice via blogs, audio answers to your questions, and pre-recorded content to offer strategies that you can incorporate right now to empower your career. Please follow along on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham for the latest updates or to submit a question. And a big shout out to all of those on the front lines who are helping to keep us healthy, fed, and supplied during this time. You are definitely the heroes of this crisis. So let's dive into today's Best of Career Talk 2019, where we welcome the one and only Carla Harris. On this episode, Carla shares her pearls of wisdom from her two fantastic books, Expect to Win and Strategize to Win, which every professional should check out. She explains the difference between a sponsor, mentor, and advisor, and why all three are critical to your career success, especially during economic uncertainty, and so many more brilliant tips. Also, stay tuned because later in the show, I'll be sharing important tips on how you can stay relevant to your organization during the current coronavirus upheaval. Great work may not be enough right now, so I want you to know what else you can be doing to stay employed. That'll be coming up after the break, so you don't want to miss it. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM 132. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Dawn Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Series 6M. Hey, if it's Thursday noon Eastern time, we are live and taking your calls all hour long, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. My name is Don Graham and I am the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in sunny Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. We're here with the dream team, Michelle and Dion who are taking your calls all hour long here on Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So the phone lines are open. So I read a lot of career advice blogs and articles, and um, one name that keeps coming up over and over and over with stellar tips and insights is Carla Harris. And we're so excited to have her on the show today. Carla is actually managing director at Morgan Stanley, where she joined in 1987 after completing her MBA from Harvard. In 2013, Carla was appointed by President Obama to chair the National Women's Business Council. She is also a gospel recording artist with three albums and five sold-out performances at Carnegie Hall. A very popular public speaker in the corporate realm, Carla has written two books, Expect to Win and Strategize to Win, and we're very excited to have her here on Career Talk today. Welcome to the show, Carla. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Graham. I appreciate being here. So, Carla, I think you might be our first guest who has performed at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> well, that's good. So, that's good. yeah. So, tell us how you manage that. So, you've got this this very diverse brand. You're you're obviously a high powered executive. You've got the the you know your singing career, family. How do you juggle all of this? Yeah, I'll tell you, I am maniacal about my calendar, John. <laughs> I am uh, very efficient, and I try to use every to- every hour that I can. And I uh, one of the tricks that I use is that I put together my to-do list the night before I leave my office. So when I come in the next morning, I ask myself one question, what does success look like today? And I then I prioritize and I move forward to execute. And I make good use of 
the uh, time that may look like idle time. For example, when you're traveling on a two-hour flight, you can plan and say, what can I get done in this two hours? Or in my case, if I'm going West Coast and I have six hours, that's that's prime time to create and also to write. So both of my books were substantially written on uh, plane rides. On airplanes. So <laughs> so your frequent flyer miles turned into a book. So it's really about maximizing your time. And Absolutely. It's, it's funny you say you're maniacal about your calendar because in the days before cell phones, when we actually used to write on paper calendars, and, and you, you, I was asked the question, if there was a fire, what, what is the first thing you'd grab in your home besides obviously your, your loved ones? And you know, I was like, well, of course my calendar. Because- That's exactly right. <laughs> and I still use the paper, actually. I find the phone is helpful, but uh, there is something for me that's magical about seeing it on a piece of paper. That, and I certainly uh, I get, I get my, my benefit, if you will, by checking things off of the list. And on a phone, you you basically have to delete it. And it doesn't give you that feeling of of completion, and it doesn't give you that feeling that you've actually done a lot. Whereas if you have a list of 20 things to do on a sheet of paper and you are methodically scratching each one off, then it gives you a very, very strong feeling of accomplishment. I'm very much like you on that. If, if I've done something and it wasn't on my list, I literally go write it on my list, Carla, just for the satisfaction of Absolutely. crossing That's it right. Off. That's, and and that, is, that is correct because things come up during the day. So even though I've made this, this well-planned list the night before, things do happen in the day. And when those interruptions happen, you should write them on the list because as you turn your attention to prosecuting those things, they count. So at the end of the day, you can look and say, well, what did I do with my day? I've been here for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours. What did I do? You can look at that list and see exactly how you used your day. And you know, on the other side, if you haven't scratched anything off, then you know, note to self, I wasted a lot of time today. Let me make sure I don't do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Carla Harris, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley. One of the things you said just a few moments ago is that every day you wake up and you ask yourself a question. Tell us that question again. Yes. What does success look like today? Because frankly, Don, success on Thursday is very different than success on Monday. And each day you have an opportunity to define that for yourself. Uh, And it's important that you do that. A, it reminds you that you are in power. uh, And B, uh, it gives you an opportunity to really think about what that thing is and so that you can then connect, reconnect to that at the end of the day and, again, have that feeling of accomplishment. So do you have an answer for that every single day? Or are there days when you struggle and say, I I have no idea what today is going to look like? Oh, no. I (laughs) I, I have an answer every day. And that's the beauty of writing your to-do list the night before, because you have an opportunity at the end of your day, even though you're tired, you think about what transpired that day, what got added to the list but maybe didn't get done, what needs to get done because now you've, you've moved another day on the calendar, uh, and you get a chance to write it all down again. And then the, that morning when you're fresh, you can sit there and say, what does success look like today? You look at that list and you realize what is the most important thing that I have to get done today? Or what is the thing that's going to make me feel really good if I get that done today? Or lastly, what's the thing that I really don't want to do? And if I just get it done, put it at the top of this list, focus right now on getting it done, I'll be happy that I got it done because I really didn't want to do it, but now it's out of the way. You have an opportunity to own all of that, which is part of the thing that will empower you throughout the day. So I imagine in order for you to be successful getting to those items on your to-do list, you have to do something that's that's very difficult for many of us, which is to say no. (laughs) What is your advice for for saying no, especially to to those of us who are yes people and want to try and, and please everybody? Yes. Well, it's important that if you have if you have prioritized what's important to you and something else comes in, then it's a matter of having the discipline to say, um, A, can I do that? Do I want to do that? Is, is it important for me to do that? And if the answer to two out of those three things is no, then the answer is no. As much as you might 
not want to tell that person no? The answer is no. And the way that you can get yourself comfortable with the fact that no is a complete sentence is to remind yourself that sometimes if you take on that one marginal thing, that will compromise your execution on the other things that are important on the list. And if you're somebody like me, and I suspect like you, Don, where you don't want to ever compromise your execution or your excellence, that'll be the thing that will give you the power to say no because you don't want to compromise your execution. Hey, we're here with Carla Harris, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley, and you're listening to Career Talk, Series XM. We are taking your calls all hour long, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So if you want a tip from the woman who is doing it all and doing it successfully, give us a call right now, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, so Carla, on that point, you know, I think that kind of speaks to the something you talk about in your book, which is sort of performance currency and relationship relationship currency because as you're thinking about saying no you're trying to balance task and relationship and and both of those are important so can you speak a little bit to what you mean about performance currency and relationship currency in the workplace absolutely uh, performance currency is the currency that is generated by your delivering that which was asked of you and a little bit extra every time you complete a an assignment successfully and certainly above people's expectations you generate the performance currency. And as I like to say early on, Don, it's worth about a buck fifty. And performance currency is valuable for three reasons. Number one, early in your career and early on in any environment, it will get you noticed. It will create a reputation for you. Number two, it may even get you paid or promoted early on in any environment. And number three, it also will attract a sponsor for you. And as you know, a sponsor is the most important relationship that you can have in your career. The issue with performance currency, however, is over time it experiences diminishing marginal returns. That buck fifty starts to work its way right back down to a dollar. Why? Because now you have created a new standard of excellence. Everyone knows that you will do a great job. Everyone expects that you will deliver. So there's no longer a premium associated with your deliverable. The currency that's now most important is the relationship currency. And relationship currency is the currency that is generated by the investments that you make in the people in your environment. And it's worth, frankly, about 225, as I like to say, and it never experiences any diminishing marginal returns. And it's most important because your ability to move in any environment is going to be a function of somebody's judgment, judgment about whether or not you're ready, judgment about whether or not the team will follow you, and judgment about whether or not you will ultimately be successful. And judgments are directly influenced by relationships. And the last piece of evidence that I'll give you is everybody has power hard-earned personal influential currency. But almost no one will use their hard-earned personal influential currency on somebody they do not know. So while your performance currency may get your name on a short list that's being discussed behind closed doors for a promotion, for a new opportunity, for a great bonus, when your name is called behind closed doors, if no one in that room can speak on your behalf, they simply go to the next name on the list, and it has nothing to do with your ability to do the job. You may be a great candidate, but if somebody doesn't know you well enough to speak up and spend some currency on your behalf, then you don't get that opportunity, which is why I argue that the relationship currency is far more valuable than the performance currency. No question you need the performance currency because it's one of the currencies that helps you to build the relationships or gives you access to a relationship. But it's the relationship currency that creates your mobility within an organization, and it's the relationship currency that will get you over the line for a critical decision in that environment. We are here with Carla Harris, who's Managing Director at Morgan Stanley. We've been talking about performance currency and relationship currency. And one of the things that that this kind of leads to is the idea of sponsorship. And you really divide sponsorship from, from an advisor, from a mentor, and kind of look at these relationships differently. Can you speak for a few uh, minutes about how you see these differently? Absolutely. And frankly, the reason I wrote about that, Don, is I had been talking about it since 1990, the word sponsorship. And now I'm so pleased to see people writing books about it, using the word 
liberally because it is indeed a critical relationship. An advisor, in my parlance, is anybody in your environment that can answer any discreet question you have. Oh, Mike, I'm going to be working with Don. Can you introduce me to her? I'd like to get to know her before we start this project. Oh, oh, Mary, can you walk me through the weighted average cost of capital? I think you all do it differently than I did it in my own firm. Those are examples of discreet questions. And again, anybody in your environment that has the experience or the intellect to answer it, you can call that person an advisor. A mentor, on the other hand, is the person that you can tell the good, the bad, and the ugly to. So by definition, it must be somebody that you trust, and it must be somebody that knows you very well. Don't just choose someone and say, oh, Don has been in this business now for five years. She's successful. She's going to be my mentor. Because if she doesn't know you very well, she cannot be a great mentor to you. Because in, in my definition, a mentor is the person that will give you tailored advice, tailored specifically to you and to your career aspirations. So if I know Don and I know Michelle and they both want to become senior vice presidents and I'm a good mentor, I will give them two different strategies because they are two different women. And my job is to give them tailored advice that they can successfully execute. Your mentor does not need to be within your organization nor do they need to look like you, but they must understand the context that you're working in in order to give you tailored advice that you can successfully execute. Now, the truth of the matter is you can survive a long time in your career without a mentor, but you will not ascend in any organization without a sponsor. The sponsor is the most important of the three relationships. The sponsor is the person that is carrying your paper into the room. This is the person that behind closed doors will argue passionately on your behalf as to why you should get the great bonus, why you should get the next great opportunity, why you should get the promotion. This is the person that is spending their valuable political and social capital on you. So I want to dig into each of these a little bit deeper when we come back from the break, because I think a lot of people ask, they reach out to me and to others saying, how do I get a mentor? How do I get a sponsor? As if it's something that you can just sign up for. And I think there are strategies, although they're they're probably not as, as one step as people would like. So I definitely want to come back and talk about how you can build relationships with each of these three types of individuals in your life when we get back from the break. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Carla Harris, who's Managing Director at Morgan Stanley, talking about all of the great wisdom and advice she puts forth in her two books, Expect to Win and Strategize to Win. So if you've got a question, we'd love to hear from you, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. But right now, we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Okay. So, brains aren't the only thing you'll need to graduate from this prestigious institution. Since the 1940s, MIT has required all students to pass this type of test. Think you know? 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, since the 1940s, in addition to all of the coursework... MIT has required all students pass this type of test before officially graduating. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Business Radio. Welcome back to Dr. Dawn on Career Serious XM 132. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the best of Career Talk. And we are here with Carla Harris, who is sharing her pearls of wisdom from her books, Expect to Win and Strategize to Win, so that we can all take these tips and be even more successful in our careers. And a big shout out to Dana and Dion who have been fantastic partners as we try and brainstorm new ideas to bring fresh content into the show while we're all sheltering in place. Thank you guys. You rock. So let's dive back into something I teed off in the beginning of the show, which is, you know, what are some strategies to remain relevant and employed during uncertain times like these? And if you believe that delivering outstanding work 
will lead to career success. Here's the deal. You're half right. There's another half that is super critical and it's even more critical right now. And that is visibility. The decision makers or your customers need to know what great work you do and what your abilities are so that they can be calling on you and um, getting your services during these times when you're maybe not right in front of them like you used to be. Perhaps you're working remotely or perhaps your role has shifted a little bit because you're now doing some contingency planning that is different. And people need to be aware of what your abilities are. And this is critical not just now, but at all stages of your career. People need to know the decision makers, as Carla tells us all the time, there's a lot of decisions being made while you're not in the room. And if the decision makers don't know what you're capable of, they may overlook you even though you're a stellar performer. So a couple of strategies that you can be thinking of right now. First, think of everything you do as quantifiable. So even if you're not in a role that lends itself easily to quantifiable results, such as a sales position, for example, think about the work you do and how it impacts the bottom line. No matter what your job, if you're receiving a paycheck, you are important to that company's chain of success. There's something that you're doing in your everyday that impacts the profitability of the company or the success of the company or the reputation of the company. So now is a great time if you've not done this to start quantifying your work so that you can start sharing this with other people. And that's the second piece, which is that once you quantify your work, now you need to make sure that people know what you're doing. And an easy way to do that might be to create a dashboard or a scorecard to track your activities and then share this with your manager. So you need to have a distribution plan for this. Maybe you meet with your manager once a week and this is a great place to share that dashboard. Or maybe you have a staff meeting once a week and instead of just you know listing off some of the things you're working on, you can share this dashboard. But I think um, what's really important is that you start coming up with a system so that this is organized information and the people who need to know about are receiving it because the fact is, Things change. Um, you may be up for a promotion, and if your manager doesn't have all of the information, you may get overlooked, not because you're not qualified, but because you might assume that your manager knows exactly what you're doing, but you might be surprised. You might be surprised that they're dealing with their own challenges and trying to solve their own problems, and they have an idea, but they don't know specifically. When you put it in numbers, it makes it much easier for them to see the big picture. And if you are working remotely right now, one of the things you might want to do is send a weekly email at the end of each week to your manager with what you've accomplished, how many phone calls you've made, how many customers you spoke with, what presentations you created, what updates you made to the website, whatever your job is, because your manager will appreciate that they have this information in one place. And the other thing is, you now have it in one place. So when you go to do your performance review or update your resume or LinkedIn, this is going to make it really easy to create an accomplishment-based document that is what an, an, a new employer or um, you know somebody internal to your company is going to want to see if you want a promotion. Something else you can do right now is, is cross-collaborate. So think about how can you be partnering with other teams? This is really important for visibility because Yes, you want to make sure your manager and other people on your team know what you're doing, but this could be a perfect time to reach out to other teams to see how can you be partnering or how can you be engaging in discussion to solve some of the problems that your company is going through right now. So this not only might help you come up with more creative solutions to the work you're doing, but it also increases your visibility because more people get to know you, more people get to see what your skill sets are. And that can only be a good thing down the road if you're looking to make a move inside the company or you're looking for a promotion. A lot of those decisions about your career, as Carla reminds us, are made when we're not in the room. And I think that's an important thing to continue to, to hear because even if you're doing great work, if people don't know about it, then 
you may get overlooked. And that's exactly what we want not to happen. And the other thing right now is that your company may need skills that you've not used yet because they're not part of your job, but because of the contingency planning or because of a, a shift in the market or re-strategy, re-strategizing what they're focusing on, you may have a skill set that can be super helpful. And again, if people don't know about it, they may not tap into you. So this is another great opportunity for you to, to make sure that people are aware of what you can do, even if it's not something that you do in your everyday job. The last thing that I think is an easy way to get visible is to celebrate others. So maybe your company has some kind of company-sponsored awards, or you know, if they don't, maybe in your staff meeting or in your town hall meetings, there's opportunities to share what your team has been doing or, or your accomplishments. And so this is a great way to not only build your own visibility, but to build the visibility of others. Recognizing colleagues is something that um, will also build your likability. So, so there's so many things that um, even if your company doesn't have some kind of formal award system that you can do, you can send an email to a colleague to thank them and copy their manager and say, you know, it was really helpful when so-and-so did this and I wanted you to know. So think about these opportunities as well because these opportunities to celebrate others also helps raise the visibility of all the people involved. So think about this, we're in unprecedented times. These steps are more critical than ever. I, I would venture to say that visibility strategy is something you want to have in your career throughout. But right now, especially if you're working from home or especially if there's a, a different situation at your work group right now where, where you may not be as visible, make sure you are building this into your strategy. It could take a few extra minutes a week, but I guarantee you it will have big returns. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to SiriusXM channel 132. This is Dr. Dawn on Careers, and you are listening to our best of career talk. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School. For more great advice, you can follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com, or follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. We are here today with Carla Harris, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley. She has two awesome books, Expect to Win and Strategize to Win, which can help you catapult your career and be successful. And we're talking all about that great advice today on Career Talk. So, Carla, right before the break, we were talking about the difference between advisor mentor and a sponsor and one of the things we often hear is how can I get a mentor how do I get a sponsor so that I can make sure I'm being represented in the room when they're talking about promotions so what, what is your advice to people who ask that question absolutely let's talk with a mentor as I said earlier Don a mentor does not need to be within your organization nor do they need to look like you so when you're thinking about who could be a great mentor think about people who are already in your life that know you very well um, and that have already or that you believe will give you no-nonsense, straight, no-chaser feedback when you ask for it. So they won't spend time trying to pretty it up. They won't beat around the bush. They won't, you know, take extraordinary measures not to hurt your feelings and therefore not give you the real content. So think about people like that in your life. And now your, your next screen will be, okay, if I can come up with five names, who also understands my context, who understands my business, or who's close enough to my business, or who's in a similar business that they may understand the culture, or they may understand the key success factors. And then you can narrow down on who you might want to use as a mentor. And the number one criteria in my mind is who will give it to me straight, no chaser, and that I know that they have my best interest at heart. There's no doubt in my mind that when I'm speaking to that person, there's one agenda item and that's me, right? And once you have figured who that out, that 
who that person is or those persons are, it might be two, you will continue to invest and develop those relationships and use them as a real mentor, telling them the good, the bad, the ugly, your fears, your concerns, your triumphs, your mistakes, and also helping and using them to help develop your strategies. Now, a sponsor, on the other hand, is not, as I say, the person that you would tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, as I like to joke, that's the person that you want focused on the good, the good, and the good. <laughs> and you do not want to share with this person your fears, your concerns, all of your mistakes, because you don't want this person compromised behind closed doors. So let's say that you know, there's a big assignment coming up to work with Mary, but I know Don is, you know, intimidated by Mary and she's afraid of Mary. Well, if I'm a mentor, I can talk to her about that. I can talk her through that. But if I'm a sponsor and I have to put my capital on the line to argue that Don should be working with Mary, but yet I now know that Don is very intimidated and she may be afraid of Mary, now I'm thinking to myself, ah. Should I really push for her? I know she's intimidated. She might not do a good job. This might derail her. So you really don't want to pollute your sponsor with the bad and the ugly. You really want to make sure your sponsor is focused on, wow, Donna's done a great job. She has knocked the cover off the ball on the last three assignments. You know, she's very assertive. She works well with people. I'm going to pound the table and say she ought to have that assignment. So now, what's the profile of the person? How do you find a sponsor? Pick somebody in your environment. As I've said, the mentor does not need to be within the environment. The sponsor must be within your environment. So choose, number one, someone who has exposure to your work. Because as I always like to say, the sponsor has to have some credibility behind closed doors. So if they're not working directly with you or they don't have exposure to your work, when they start to pound the table, other folks around the table are trying to figure out, well, where, where's that coming from? Because you don't know this person. You have no evidence of how good they are. So the sponsor needs to have exposure to your work. They don't, you don't have to work for them, but they need to have exposure to your work, number one. Number two, they do have to have a seat at the decision-making table. And number three, they need to have the juice to get it done for you. So in thinking about who could be your sponsor, I like to tell people to study your environment for a couple of weeks and look at who has direct exposure to your work, who has a respected voice in the organization, who also has a seat at the table, and who's going to be accessible enough for you to start to build that relationship with. And that's how you find a sponsor. Ideally, you pick two or three people that you can start to invest in with respect to building a relationship, and one or for sure will rise to the top as the most probable candidate, and you over-invest in that relationship relative to the other two. And, and Carla, you talk a lot about networking, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about before with relationship currency. Of course, on a career show, we talk a lot about networking, not just to get ahead in your career, as you're talking about, but obviously to get jobs and to have opportunities brought to you. But you bring up one important aspect that I that you said earlier that I want to highlight is that when you're asking somebody to help you network or to even be a sponsor or mentor, they're putting their currency on the line for you. And that's an important thing to recognize as somebody who's asking for that help. So, so when you're talking about individuals networking, especially for a job search or, or for uh, you know maybe getting a promotion or things like that, what are some important things for people who are asking others to help them to remember? Yes. First of all, don't be overly preoccupied with what you can do back for that person. Because so often, Don, I have people say to me, oh, I would love so-and-so to be my, my sponsor, but I don't know what I can do for that person. What can I offer, especially if that person is junior. Never underestimate that you have gifts and wisdom and connections that you could bring to the table. If not now in that relationship, you will be able to do it later. So don't let that become an obstacle with respect to approaching that person. The other thing is to think about if the person is really senior, uh, then again, don't preoccupy yourself with making small talk or uh, trying to get that familiar. You know, that person would really appreciate if you come to the table with an agenda. 
So if you, when people walk into my office and say, uh, you know, Carla, I wanted to spend some time with you, and over time I hope to get to know you, but I do have three questions that I really need your help on right now, and, and they just lay them out. I so appreciate it, and they end up getting even more of my time as opposed to someone who comes in and says, well, just wanted to get to know you or, you know, I heard you had a daughter. How's your little girl? Or, you know, what do you like to do on the weekends? In in a work environment, generally senior people don't have that kind of time. Mm-hmm. And if they choose to make that kind of time for you, that's great. But, frankly, you don't care. You really want to have access to their ability to help you. Uh, and, oh, and on the journey, you'll get to know them. And then the third thing to keep in mind, and, and this is what I always say to people, and is my number one criteria for people that I mentor and my criteria for people that I will sponsor is are you willing to do that for someone else? So I generally, Don, will lend my weight, my power, um, you know, my my perspective to those who I think will do it for someone else. So you have to remember that if someone is willing to spend that currency on you, you have to be willing to spend your currency on someone else. Even during those times when you may not feel that powerful, you still have power and the ability to be able to extend that to someone else. Yes, we're talking to Carla Harris, who is the Managing Director at Morgan Stanley, and we are talking about the great advice she puts forward in her books, Expect to Win and Strategize to Win, all hour long here on Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And we're going to come back to that topic in just a moment, but first we're going to answer our pre-break quiz. So brains aren't the only thing you'll need to graduate from this prestigious institution since the 1940s. MIT has been requiring all students to pass this test. Michael in Massachusetts. They have to pass a scrimming test. They have swimming to know swimming test. That seems so odd. That, but that is right. <laughs> of course it's right. I, I, yeah, Dion's going to claim that that was his answer because it I went to you first. <laughs> See? As soon as I saw it, I knew you weren't going to believe me. <laughs> and I should have told you in the break. Michael, did you have to pass a swimming test? Did you go to MIT? I did not. I do live in the area, but my understanding is that in the 40s there was a student who did drown, and the father was a um, a donor to the school and uh, made the school um, have this rule. So, yeah, and apparently MIT is not the only school. Cornell, um, Columbia, Hamilton College, there's a few of them that actually require this test. And for those of you who are going to these schools, you should know it's a 100-yard swim, but there's no time requirement. You just need to do it before you graduate. Michael, kudos to you. Dion, we're going to give it to you as well. We're here with Carla Harris, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley, taking your calls all hour long, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, Carla, one of the things you talk about in your book is taking risks and speaking up. And this is something that's very difficult for people. You even just spoke about it as you're talking about networking and networking with with maybe higher ups in the company. I mean, it it could be very intimidating for somebody to walk into an executive's office and say, I have three things on my agenda. I know we have 15 minutes. Let's go. What is your advice for people who are, are kind of struggling with that part of taking risks and speaking up? Yes. Well, first of all, the strategy would be think about where you want to you know, start to develop and practice, if you will. Do you want to do it in a one-on-one setting with people, or do you want to do it in a presentation setting? Because that would that'll dictate the strategy. So if you want to do it on a one-on-one, uh, the way I like to think about it is, first of all, remember that that person is human just like you. Uh, they have fears. They have concerns. They have trepidation uh, in, in terms of going to someone for the first time. Uh, so understand that you do have something in common. Now do some homework. Find out what it is you need to know about that person. Like you've done your homework on me. The first thing you said, she's a banker, but she's also a singer. She's done five sold-out concerts at Carnegie Hall. Well, if you know that about the person, then you can start the conversation and say, hey, I know you've been in this business for a long time, and you're a great banker, but I understand you're a singer as well. You know, how do you do that? Or what kind of music do you like to sing? Or when do you practice? How do you hone your craft? Once you've done your homework, you can develop two or three questions that you might want to ask that person. I also tell people, always be ready with the answer to the question, what are you working on? Because you don't know who is going to join you in the elevator on what floor. And you don't want to find yourself in the elevator and you in the elevator with the chairman, someone you always wanted to speak to, and you can't answer the question, what are you working on or where do you work or how long have you been here, those kinds of questions. So 
just when you're walking along the street, you're in the subway, you're in your car, practice your quick elevator pitch if, and play the what-if game. That's what I used to, day, used to do. So what if the chairman walks in and he says, what are you working on, Carla? What are you going to say? How are you going to say it? What if the president walks in the elevator and said, hey, how do you like it here? I, I, I saw you did X. Uh, how long have you been here? How do you like it? Or who are you working with? How do you like it? Have those answers ready. And the more you practice them, the, more, the easier it will be uh, and the more likely you will be uh, able to answer the question uh, affirmatively and confidently. So practice a little bit and then find those times to intersect with people. I love that advice, too, because thinking about each morning, like, what am I working on? What's my priority? Also helps you get ready for not only those impromptu conversations with people, maybe executives in the elevator, but I say every interaction you have, instead of just going through the standard, how are you? I'm good. How's your busy? You know, just you have an opportunity with everybody you meet, everybody you come across during the day to to build you know, your power to build your brand. And you should be taking those opportunities, even if it's just in passing. So, That's right. So I love that advice. One, one other thing that really jumped out to me as I was reading your books is this idea of perception is the co-pilot to reality. Yes. <laughs> and, and this is such an interesting concept to me because I hadn't really thought about it in the way you present it. So can you share what that means with our listeners? Absolutely. The way people perceive you will directly impact how they deal with you. So if you want to train people to think about you in a certain way, and generally you would want them to think about you in the same context that they think about successful people in their environment, then your behavior should be consistent with that. So, for example, Don, if you are in a role, let's say a first-year associate in an investment bank, and you know that what's valued in that role is your analytical skills, your quantitative skills, your attention to detail, then when you're talking about yourself and your environment, you should say things like, well, you know I'm really analytical, so what do the numbers tell us in this in this case? Or there are four reasons that I think this, three reasons that I think that. Um, and you can speak in a way that people can tell that you are analytical, that you're quantitative, that you're all about the numbers. Because at the end of the day, when folks don't know you, the perception of you will dominate how they are dealing with you. So if they think that you are unapproachable, if they think that you are not a team player, if they think that uh, you are standoffish, then they're, what are they going to do? They're not likely to work with you. They won't pick you to work on their teams. They'll start to create a narrative and say that you're difficult, that you're not a team player, when in fact, They've had no interaction with you at all. So that's why it's important that you recognize the power of your behavior and the power of that behavior to create a perception that will then become the reality of how people will interact with you. And I think a lot of people feel like this is, oh, that's not fair. That's, that's you know, very unfair. But as we were speaking about before, those sponsors are who are in the room making decisions when you're not there. I mean, I think I think you quoted this at one of your talks or conferences recently about the fact that most of the career decisions about you happen when you're not in the room. Absolutely. And so and that's that, why the perception is so important. Exactly. Right. So how do you find out how you're perceived? Because it, oftentimes people might not tell you to yes. your face. So how can you find out? Are people talking about you positively in the room when you're not there? Well, I'll tell you, and I talk about this very explicitly and expect to win. If you are not sure of the perception that exists about you in the marketplace, then my recommendation is to go to two people that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt they are on your success team and go to two people that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt are not on your success team and you ask all four people the same question and the question is you know listen I am trying to take my game a little higher in this environment and I really would like to get your thoughts on what you think I do really well and where you think I could improve here's what I think I'm doing well and maybe you agree or you don't agree I'd love to hear your thoughts but I'm not quite sure of the other things that I should be doing how do you see it and don't debate all four will give you an answer. Don't go back and forth. You just listen and receive. And remember that feedback is a gift. Good, bad, and ugly feedback is a gift because you can't fix it if you don't know that it's broken. So you always want to create a safe place where somebody will give you the real deal feedback. Once you have those four data points, done, then you sit back and you reflect on what you've heard and really ask yourself the questions of whether or not those things are true or whether or not you could be 
actually displaying those things unknowingly and certainly not meaning to, but yet that's the behavior that that you're putting out there. And how can you correct that? Or maybe you learned some things that you had you weren't not aware of at all. But to get that feedback, that'll get those four data points will give you a pretty good sense of what the marketplace is saying about you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to SiriusXM. This is Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Carla Harris, who is the author of Expect to Win and Strategize to Win. She has coached hundreds of people on their careers during her 30 years at Morgan Stanley, and she's taking questions from you right now, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live on Career Talk. So I'm hearing a theme, Carla, that it's all about preparing, knowing your audience, preparing. So if you're speaking to an executive, prepare your, your agenda. If you're speaking to or you're trying to pick a sponsor or mentor or somebody in that realm, it's really about preparing, preparing and doing your research and your homework. And this this takes time and it's a step that a lot of people skip. How can you make time for it? And, and is it really as labor intensive as people imagine it to be? Yeah, and thank you so much for that question, Don, because, in fact, it does not take a lot of time. And that's why I said earlier, when you are in your car, when you're on the subway, when you're on the bus, when you're walking down the street, these are things that can go through your mind. I mean, if you think about it, what are you thinking about now when you're in your car? What are you thinking about when you're walking down the street or on the subway? Those are times when you can think to yourself, boy, if I got asked this question, how would I answer it? What do I like about my job? What would I improve? What's the job that I really want to have? When it only takes a few minutes to think about those kinds of things. If I had 10 minutes with Carla Harris, what would I ask her? You know, if I bumped into her uh, in the in the elevator, you know, what's the one question I might ask her? That doesn't take any time at all. So it's not like you need to set aside an hour or two hours in the week to prepare all the things that we're talking about. These are things that you can do easily as you're, again, walking down the street, heading over to lunch, uh, and just spending just a few minutes with yourself. But it does call for you to be somewhat self-reflective and to be self-aware. And I think that is something that we don't often talk about in these kinds of conversations because I find that so many people miss the opportunity to move ahead in their organizations because they're, they've never thought about what is the job I really want. They are waiting for someone to come to them and offer them an opportunity and then are frustrated that they never get that tap on the shoulder. As I'd like to tell people, do not wait for the opportunity to come to you. Think affirmatively about what you would like to do next because you may not know it, but someone is looking at you, seeing that you're doing a good job, and will approach you seemingly out of the blue and say, hey, Don, what would you like to do next? And you never want to be caught unprepared with that question. And that's exactly how it happens. I love that advice because I think what our listeners are taking away is that it's it's not time intensive to be prepared for when that happens. And if you're doing all these steps, chances are somebody is going to walk up to you and say, hey, I'm about to go to a meeting. We're going to be making some decisions. What do you want to do? That's right. And, and you're going to have 30 seconds. You're not going to have a second chance. So spending right. that time preparing now is going to be helpful. Hey, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-786. Six, we're here with Carla Harris. I want to switch to the job interview and kind of the hiring process for our last few minutes. So as somebody who's hired a lot of people and who's in that position to evaluate candidates, what is it you're looking for? Obviously, in addition to having a, an aligned background skills-wise, skills, skills wise, what is it you're looking for in a candidate to hire? Yes. yes. When I'm hiring someone for an investment banking position, for example, in addition to their analytical and their quantitative skills and aptitude, I'm also looking for whether or not they are a great relationship person. I'm looking for whether or not they are tenacious, uh, whether or not they have persevered um, and, and really worked through challenging situations or challenging times, because I know away from the actual work of doing a spreadsheet, there are also dynamics that call for you to be tenacious and for you to persevere and for you to be a good relationship person and a good connector. So it all depends on the job, Don. And one of the things that I say in Strategize to Win, that the key to a successful interview, if you are the interviewee, is to understand what the buyer is really buying. What are the key success factors for that role? And you should tell your story through that lens. So if I were 
were interviewing for a radio job, for example. Well, what are the key success factors? Somebody who's very articulate, somebody who can connect with people over the phone, who can build relationships, can have an easy rapport, someone who can do research and do research really quickly and pick up and listen really well. Well, if I'm interviewing for that job, when I tell the Carla Harris story, I'm going to tell it through that lens, using those adjectives and using those descriptors. And that's how you connect with the interviewer. So as the interviewer, I'm thinking about those things when I am interviewing the person. I know what the key success factors are. So I'm looking and listening uh, to their stories and looking at their behavior and their person to see whether or not it's consistent with those key success factors. So what about people who get very nervous in the interview? So maybe they've they've got a lot of the qualities you've just mentioned, but when that, that kind of performance clock ticks on, it's hard for them to show it. Yes. Now, if I have a candidate in front of me that I see all of a sudden is really, really nervous, but yet I know that they have the the capabilities of doing the job, then I will go out of my way to try to make them feel comfortable. But that's who I am as an interviewer. You're not always going to have that kind of person sitting in front of you if you're interviewing. So the thing that I tell candidates is remember when you are interviewing, you always have the upper hand in the interview. Why? Because the person sitting in front of you, interviewing you, they're the ones that have a job to do that day. Their job is to find a really good person to join their organization. You simply have the job of making them feel like they will make a mistake if they don't choose you. And you know yourself better than they do. They've only had a few minutes to study your resume. You've had a lifetime of creating those accomplishments. You have the upper hand. Tell your story with confidence. I love what you're saying because I do agree that not everybody's a great interviewer. And a lot of people don't do interviewing for a living. They have a line job. And so you come in and I think you as the candidate, this is where that preparation comes in. You need to be prepared with what you're going to leave on the table. Mm-hmm. You can't count on them to ask you the questions you want them to ask you. Oh, that's correct. You're absolutely right, Don, because there are lots of people that cannot interview. And I certainly, when I had my undergraduate career and my um, MBA career, I met a lot of interviewers who, frankly, could not interview. They were not prepared. They had not looked at the resume beforehand. They were trying to listen to me and read the resume at the same time. That is not a good interviewer. And they could not even keep the conversation going. So one of the things that I learned very early on as an undergraduate is that you have to be prepared to take control of the interview. And you want to make sure that you leave that interview with the message about yourself. Ask yourself the question, If they remember nothing else about me, what is the one thing I want to make sure that they remember about me? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself that question before you go in and you make sure you deliver that. So, Carla, as we wrap up in our in our last minute, you've had such a successful career and you've talked a lot today about how you've attained that and some of your your what you apply to your day to day to do that. So as we look to students who are going to be graduating or recently graduated and are looking ahead at their career, what's one piece of advice you can give to them or leave with them on this show? Yes, I would say that as you go into your environments and you focus on what's the key performance currency that you need to generate, you must also start to build those relationships and use the people that interviewed you and gave you the offer, brought you into that organization, use them as your initial connector to other uh, other people within the organization that you might want to build relationships with. They can be very valuable to you. Don't leave them behind now that you have the offer and now that you're about to start. Mm-hmm. So that relationship currency. So, Carla, thank you so much for taking time to talk to our listeners today on Career Talk. Is there a place where people can follow you to learn more? Absolutely. You can follow me at, at Carla Ann Harris uh, on Twitter and Facebook, as well as carlaspearls.com. Thank you so much, Carla Harris, who's Managing Director at Morgan Stanley. And to all of our listeners and callers, we're here each week on Career Talk for you. So we will see you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.